Okay. Well, we're recording. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome to Sync Ratios. Welcome to Sync Ratios, episode twenty. Twenty. Oh yeah. my god. Well, I'm Luke Piotrowski. I'm Ben Collins, and joining us today. Oh my god! After <laughs> promising this to you guys for weeks and All weeks these and weeks, teases. It's finally happening. We're very, very happy to welcome our guest, uh, Kevin Phillips. Oh, I was, I was gonna say I was gonna say Hideaki Anno. <laughs> <laughs> He's here. Yeah, you know, that's next one. No, but, it's it's Kevin Phillips. Hey guys, and we're recording in your home. I'm very happy you're here. I'm very happy to be a part of this. Uh, our biggest I, fan, yeah, <laughs> our biggest yeah, cheerleader, self-proclaimed biggest fan, <laughs> no question. Um, uh, yes, I'm sorry for the delay. How does it feel to be here? Um, you know, just n- kind of normal in a way, because I think the last time <laughs> that I ever did some sort of, um, I mean, the only people I've ever thoroughly like kind of investigated and talked mm-hmm. about this show with are kind of you two, you know, with it, hmm. as much passion and vigor yeah. as I want to. Um, and I guess, Ben, we probably watched this in college at least. Did at we least, watch the whole series? Yeah, at least twice. Right. Because it would have been, I mean... And now, then, yeah, we, we're we're going to talk about the episode, but I guess it's worth sort of like doing an intro, like. No, you, definitely. I want. I mean, I even want to ask, what was yeah, your let's first? Go back ex- further, yeah, yeah, what was your first exposure to Evangelion? High school. Uh, Vincent Lynn, Seth Bailey, maybe Isaac Lepro, uh, Ted. No, not Ted Logier, and maybe some other like straggling friend that I can't recall. Mm-hmm. Um, not to bring any dismissal to those friendships, but in high school. Probably ninth, tenth grade. Okay. We would used to we used to kind of have like video game anime parties. You know, mm-hmm. like that hell yeah, like, hell, hell yeah, all night long kind of affairs and into the next day. And Evangelion was one that we actually we binged. Um, Do you remember I, who like who first brought it in? And I wh- think like... it was a Vincent Lynn situation, who is now a filmmaker, actually working out of New York. Oh really? Um, yeah, I haven't really stayed as much in touch with Vince, but he was always super cool. Probably Vince and Seth Bailey were the biggest kind of anime heads um, that I hung out with. And when, when yeah, what was, year would that yeah, have been? So, uh, let's see. So, I was born in 82. So, 10th grade. I don't know. When did I graduate? 2000. I graduated college 2005, 6. Well, you, I graduated high school. In so, probably 1998 or okay. 97, something okay, like that. Yeah, it's so around the same time yeah. as us, pretty much. Maybe even before for me. Because ninety seven was an end. End of Evangelion came out. Mm. So yeah, I would have seen Evangelion. I, in, in now like that's really fascinating. I don't know if I saw End of Evangelion that first time around when I really? watched the whole series. I know I'm trying to remember because if ever I've been impacted by some like a singular thing as much, I could kind of sum it up to that. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the series entire, you know, made such a dent yeah. in my life. Um, but the movie, End of Evangelion, honestly, is the one that I kind of go back to often. If only because it's easy, it's succinct, you can kind of just yeah. throw it in as a disc. It's but definitely the culmination of the thing. It has and excellent most... animation. It has all of the emotional and, and most like surreal kind of insanity. Anyway, I don't want to like blow its load, but um, yeah. But okay. yeah. Uh, it's like somebody had like VHS tapes or something? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then I think, so I remember even at the time, I recall being home on my computer 
like on the internet, like trying to understand more about, mm-hmm. and I forgot the <laughs> main website that I like went to at the time, like if there was one that existed, but there was, there did seem to be like a forum for like Evangelion yeah. material, even at that time. Yeah. Um, where people were dissecting it and trying to like really Full uh, of unravel the mystery. Wrong information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so, I think what was so fascinating to me about it was the fact that it was, it was kind of like, um, uh, I don't want to say like a mystery box, but it was this such a, it was such a cryptic, uh, dense, rich material, t- um, that was steeped in metaphor. And for me, I'm like, oh, the symbolism and like, uh, the layers at which this is operating, even for me as a kid was fascinating. When you were raised, we've talked about, we talked yeah. a lot about our childhoods and stuff like that, but yes. you, you were raised more Catholic you were raised Catholic, right? Yeah, baptized, confirmed at the Catholic yeah. Church. Luke, you were yeah. Catholic, but sort of nominally, like, like less, but you were, like, more of a, like, your yeah, family is. We didn't go to church or anything. Did you? I mean, so, like, did, did, <laughs> we went to church. Catholic. We went to church on occasion. We would juggle it, like, uh, depending on, I don't really know what, um, maybe my parents' disposition, but it, eventually it kind of waned off from a regular Sunday thing significantly to mainly holidays, and I think to this day my parents still will go on seemingly like on, on occasions that are unbeknownst to me as to why but but at least you were steeped in, you were steeped to some degree in that world so I, yeah. like, i'm just curious how like because that's one of the first things a lot of people i think in america especially when you first start watching the show trying to understand how this all connect you know like like did that jump out to you or what did that what did i you think, think about I, that considering i mean to this day i i find the uh the the Christian mythology kind of like that's interwoven within mm-hmm. the series, like particularly fascinating. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of quantify exactly how that uh, like impacted me at that time. Other than like, I don't know if it caused me to question like, what is God? And so like, I mean, pre- <laughs> pretty much it, I mean, that's the thing though, is the show goes there if you yeah. want it to, and you could ask yourself the biggest concept questions, you know, mm-hmm. out there. Um, in response to this show. And I think yeah. I, I did, you know, um, I, I don't, it's hard, again, it's hard to say how it affected my spiritual view um, mm-hmm. to this day. Um, that's a great mystery unto itself, but. So like, so, cause by the time I met you, well, yeah, I mean, we'll cover all that too. But There's I, also it, boobs in this show. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's, it's for, for, a, yeah, for a young, for a young man, the show has everything. And yeah, this, uh, this episode, that's totally yeah. true, man. Because it had it had the kinetic action. It had like the uh, bombastic kind of, uh, uh, you know, like um, how to say it, like more comedic aspects of mm-hmm. like certain type of anime style at the time that mm-hmm. I wasn't as much keen on, but yeah. in, in juxtaposition with all of like the very kind of austere, stoic kind of filmmaking mm-hmm. and action. Um, its ability to kind of work with tone, you know, that resonated with me, with me like at an early age. Well, because and I'm just jumping ahead to sort of bridge the gap a little bit, because I met you when I was 18, I think 19, maybe, but eight, I think 18. I was a freshman in college and you were a sophomore in college. And I believe once we got to be friends, I think you already had or maybe you got it for Christmas that year or something. I just remember, I think in the dorms you had the box, the DVD box, the, 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 the original DVD box, DVD, set, yeah. the one from before, like whatever the mm-hmm. first, the, the, the original ADV. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I remember like that was something that I, I wish I could say the moment that you and I were like, wait, you watched this too? Like it was like a thing. It was one of those like showing your cards and be like, oh, holy shit, this is a thing we can talk about. Right. And then I don't know when we would have watched the entire thing together the first time because it probably would have been like a year or two later. I mean, I remember watching it with you in uh, Josh Lynn's parents' house, the basement. Holy shit. It over the yeah. summer after wow. that would have been after my junior year of college. Yeah. Or wow. sophomore Maybe year. That no, was sophomore the first year of college. Time. No, junior year, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we watched it entirely then, but we may have watched it some before then. Cause we you moved into my house. I would definitely that time yeah, I definitely recall us watching it on that small little television on the kitchen table. Yeah. That would have been after Which that, because it was after that yeah. summer that you moved into my house. Dragging the re- recliner, mm-hmm. you know? I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Into the kitchen. <laughs> it sounded like a bunch of shitheads. Yeah, no, it. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. It was yeah, that and Battlestar Galactica, I remember, mm-hmm. as like the bingeable things that we were doing at the yeah. time with that So we, we've watched this entirely at least twice, and yes, I'm sure that you've together. watched it God knows how many times. And uh, Luke, I've only talked to you about it. No, we've never watched it together. That yeah. was our first time watching. We just watched the episode. And, yeah. I was really pleased that um, like I, I kind of went into this with a little bit of... Um, trepidation because I'm like, well, are they going to like talk during the episode? Like, how is this? Like, is it, how, you know, uh, Sancritus is this? Um, and then right off the bat, you know, Luke was it, like, what is it? Cruel Angels? Uh, something about a cruel angel. The first lyric of the mm-hmm. of the opening song. And the Well, you have to talk. Oh, reading the, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just reading read, the karaoke? The, yeah, exactly. Just reading it out. I'm like, okay, this is, this is that type of vibe, which is great. Well, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess they're just sort of establishing the your relationship to the thing here. I mean, mm. obviously, it influences you as a filmmaker. Uh, if everyone who hasn't, I guess if we didn't... Yeah, I guess we didn't they, clarify who... Yeah, Ke- Kevin who directed Super Dark Times, uh, the, the feature film that Luke and I wrote, and that was a movie that was, you know, uh, uh, devised of together between the three of us, and the influence of uh, Evangelion on stylistic and character decisions in that movie was something we all talked about from the very beginning that's true and it you know i think we would all agree that it influences everything that we do this is true yeah i think that's you know that's not a uh uh, you know there's i think that's totally true in the sense that um you know as a when in any sort of work that you do creatively i think that you kind of lean on certain references that will last for a long time references or inspirations that you know you'll always kind of keep in the well and go back to and if ever there's been a consistent uh, frame of reference or like a point of interest or inspiration for me through anything I've done, it's been mm-hmm. this show. I don't think there's, it, I don't think I've never not thought about this, at least in like the smallest quantum of a bit when doing kind of any creative narrative sort of work, particularly, or even something mm-hmm. in the visual, any, it, even if it's an abstract kind of visual thing like I think this show always has like well, forever. Well, has that's been, been really exciting for me because I didn't, I when I first met you and like, I didn't know that about you and and over time I found out more and more and more to to realize like that I'm in your like new place that you just moved into and it's like there's very little set up but there's prominently like a couple of Evangelion DVDs set up and stuff and I, so yeah I mean honestly for for all the big picture reasons why this show is so so groundbreaking um, for me personally. I think you know, uh, just even aesthetically and and even like technically, as far as like the filmmaking craft goes, mm-hmm. this is like a you know, this is like gold standard of filmmaking uh, mm-hmm. in terms of efficiency and creative singularity and vision. Like, 
you know, I think that um, it's a no brainer as far as like keeping it as a template in my mind for like how to achieve uh, efficient filmmaking technique well, that like mines the depths of the human oh, nature. Well, because it is like we said, it does everything. And that's where it's funny is that like, I, I always find like when, cause I, you know, the three of us talk a lot, but I also, we talk in sort of pairs and in, in different times and stuff. And it's like the, the amount of references that are available because it'll just be like, like a touch of, like you know they or in this episode we'll get to it but like the the shot of like Masato's like cigarette butt in the ashtray something like that will come up in a reference to just like I mean any given thing just like oh it's like you just do like an insert shot of something like that and like totally. that's one reference yeah. as opposed to like you know larger references about like existentialism and character stuff and sure. the types. it's like you can go all over the place and there's going to be something that you can sort of point back to that is contained within Evangelion on a story level, like Luke, when you and I are developing stories or like, uh -huh. I mean, the other day we're, we can't talk about it, but there's a project we're working on and it's like down to just like, oh, the use of jargon you were texting me about. Mm. You're like, oh, oh you know, yeah, like, like we should do some, and it's like, yeah, like this episode has a ton of that and it's like, it's well, well it's, yeah, sim like, similarly on the same thing, I was able to sort of say like, well, you know, like a, it's like Makoto, you know, it's, yeah. like, it's like the, the guy with the glasses, you know, and that you guys both knew exactly what I was talking about and exactly why that would resonate emotionally. <laughs> was yeah. like really exciting because so often I have to, I'm like making these references to creative collaborators, but I'm having to sort of couch it in some, <laughs> yeah, some come up way, with some other or, analogy that like makes it, it makes sense. Yeah. To, but, you know. but deep down secretly and then just down to stupid shit. Like we did that movie siren and I, I specifically wrote in the script that somebody had a, a blue Bob wig on. Mm -hmm. And so there's a the reason the bartender in siren wears a wig <laughs> is because it's, it's the Ray wig, like <laughs> specifically scripted to be that. I was so happy that it actually made it in. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's got everything. And I think that that's, it's really one you of know. the things that we all, like all three of us share as kind of like a, not like a lifeline, but like as like a follow through yeah. uh, in all points of inspiration for us, you know. And I find it interesting that we all sort of, to some extent, found it separately. Mm -hmm. Like my assumption at the time was that, oh, Will showed it to me and then like Ben saw it because of us and that you saw it because of Ben. But it seems like all three of us have stories of like, no, there was some other weird person in high school yeah, yeah, totally. that introduced it to you. And so like the weird confluence of that. Shout out to Vince Lynn and Seth Bailey too, um, to like, you know, young like high school friends that like really kind of opened my mind to this like whole world of like, uh, not just anime, but like, uh, I don't know, like uh, this, this other culture of like media you know mm -hmm. video games included well, so were they were they the ones that first showed you anime in general like what was the first you know, anime the you first, ever no saw? you know the first anime that i saw was ninja scroll no it was doubt. Yeah, absolutely ninja i scroll. saw ninja scroll at a y as oh, a young life at a <laughs> oh, young life wow. um, maybe i should have gone to young life. Yeah, exactly yeah, right so it was yeah. like a young life expedition into like some ski resort kind of situation and um you know, as it goes, Young Life kind of adapted, like, or like, brought forth like a bunch of a different type, different types of like cliques and kids mm -hmm. uh, it attracted. And some of the kids that showed up were like, you know, um, like uh, skater dudes that like smoked weed and like drank beer and shit. And like, you know, but they were there for the, you know, to hang and the also to like, and yeah, exactly. Um, I guess also, for, to anybody who not, doesn't know, Young Life was a youth organization, yeah. probably still is, I don't really know, but that, that was nominally Christian mm -hmm. in some way, and it was sort of a, a way to, you know, get kids 
together in a sort of it was know, a Christian indoctrination. It kind of uh, was movement. It, yeah. you, pre- you know, much. fun fun fact, uh, and I don't, I can't confirm this, and I could look it on the internet, but it was always a uh, because uh, I was also involved in Young Life, completely separate from you. But uh, Brad, Brad Pitt was a Young Life leader at one point. Really, that supposedly makes sense. You can kind of imagine it. I was know? always creeped out by Young Life guys. So I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's a. I think it's a totally understandable uh, perspective. Like, <laughs> <laughs> really, I mean, because eventually, you know, I I uh, ditched that. Um, uh, after like kind of my mom, I think kind of pointed out that you know this place is a little strange. Anyway, all this is to say not to like <laughs> throw shade on Young Life per se, um, or even these kids that like skated and drank beer and smoked weed. Like they were there for like you know as much of the grace of God as anyone else. But mm-hmm. um, they had a copy of Ninja Scroll on VHS and they were watching <laughs> it and they're like, look at this fucking hot shit. And they would show one of the yeah uh, like one of the, the snake woman more lascivious like, scenes. Yeah. Um, well, that was the Ninja Scroll was the one was everyone like always talked about. Very complicated with violence. It was all all the all the so stuff is very violent in that in that movie, um, and so utterly fascinating. And I remember when it was on, and I like peeked it, like through a bunch of like people watching it, like on this like you know, uh, on the TV in this kid's room. I remember immediately thinking like, oh well, this is like my new favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because we've covered it where, yeah, Akira was the first, like, adult anime I ever saw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what in yours was... Ninja Scroll. It was Ninja Scroll. Yeah. yeah, Ninja Scroll was the one that everyone talked about, but it was like I had to get it from, like... I mean, I had the same with Akira, but, like, Ninja Scroll was the one that everybody was like, oh, that's the that's the fucking, like, real fucked up stuff because of the sex stuff. Because Akira doesn't really have that much of that. No. And it was, yeah, like, Ninja Scroll was the one that, like, you know, you go to your older friend's More mature. house. More mature. Like, yeah. 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 Yoshiaki Kawajiri is the guy who directed Ninja Scroll, and he also did... Uh, Wicked City. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Goku, yeah, Midnight right. Eye. Mm-hmm. That guy has an awesome Vampire style. Vampire Bloodlust. Mm-hmm. So his stuff is great, and it was sort of the epitome of what was going on with a lot of anime in the 80s when you had... It was that more, you know, lascivious, like, uh, stuff that would have the sex and violence. You know, a lot of what people think of as anime, or of people of a certain age think of as anime, and, you know, sort of the perviness of it, it is his fault is like yeah, his, yeah. His, his movies that they're thinking of but i adore his stuff and i think that the combination of those those elements the sex and the violence and the genre stuff is really unique and kind of when it's cool like yet his to style be reproduced is cool. yeah like of the of the sort of if you want to put him up against like miyazaki and like uh you know i don't know i mean it's just ghibli stuff in general but like like, and, like who else would be the sort of i mean akira like i guess akira is cool but in a different way but like his stuff is all like the cool guys and the weird monsters and the like it's like mm-hmm. that's that's it's the Eddie, stuff that i think yeah. is most immediately appealing to to teenagers it doesn't it doesn't seem to yes. penetrate on like a deeper level like in a sort of humanistic way or like a philosophical or like spiritual way the way that like obviously even Galleon does but some of that other stuff it, it's just like the cool fun stuff he, that you watch he's like he, he's it's like the John young M- life he, of uh, anime yeah. it like sort of gets you in like look at all this is gonna be there's gonna be chicks there there's gonna be yeah. he, uh, he's cool an stuff. action guy he does action so well yeah. his, his particular attention to the details like Jubei his thumb kind of you know re- like uh, pushing the like, hilt of the sword mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. and just like cocking it as if it's like a gun you know like th- little like his rhythm and his attention to detail is particularly alluring. Um, he was like, I was gonna say, he was like the John McTiernan of like anime. Oh, uh, sure, but, that's a good. Yeah, but just because he does action so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, it's really funny. I just wanted to bring it up that I think when I first saw Ninja Scroll and Akira for that matter, I saw them uh, dubbed, 
And the first time I saw Eva, I mm-hmm. never, I, it was subtitled, which. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I've never saw Eva dubbed. I don't, um, th- I mean, I, I'm sure that some early VHSs I saw probably were dubbed, but I'd have no memory of it. And, and it's very jarring. And we talk about it all the time, obviously, on the podcast. It's very jarring to me to hear what the dub sounds like because it is just like these characters have these voices mm-hmm. yeah it That's, is very strange it's, it's, i will say that i've been watching some of the more recent episodes with my kids dubbed on the new netflix dub and i texted you to tell you that the the poem raised poem from the previous mm-hmm. episode is actually quite good in english and works and i don't know if that's just the strength of the context and the the text itself and the music and the shots but her performance is appropriately i mean you know again ray is a character that's a little bit easier to pull off because you don't Mm -hmm. you don't need to you know shinji is so difficult it's such a trick to to get the right levels of vulnerability and like all the screams and the sheer terror and it's but it's also a 14 year old boy so like what do you cast a woman do you cast a man do you cast a Mm -hmm. child and how do you do that? But Ray is sort of just in that in that mode. But but uh, that sequence actually was quite effective, even in, yeah, in the English it. dub. I'm curious. So shout out to that voice actress. Well, so, so should we talk about the episode and then we'll we should talk about the episode first? We things. have to ask Kevin, Ray, Misato, or Asuka. So this is a question that you posited and, uh, <laughs> two episodes ago, two yes. podcast mm-hmm. episodes ago. So like, you knew this was coming. So, so it's not give me give it to me because I enjoyed you saying it in that episode. But give it to me again, people that are. Uh, well, I want to. I just want your answer, and then we okay, can, so and it, you can it, analyze really what funny. your answer have, means. And so, if you have a different, if you want to specify, if you remember having a different feeling as a young person, oh, ter- yeah, sure, you can specify that too. I am naturally drawn to Ray. I think I have more Ray like memorable, not memorabilia, but that. I like. Ray's like whole deal like I like uh, Ray as like a character and like how she's rendered I like her as this kind of yeah, I don't want to say neutral like component in the mix like but I, I she's got this neutrality to like just uh this I don't want to say soullessness either but this confusion mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of is the result of you know like uh is it a is it a spoiler to say like being uh, or being, maybe uh, yeah <laughs> and anyway so like all this yeah um I was always drawn to Ray uh Oscar always scared the hell out of me um <laughs> I think I've been in a lot of relationships. She's, I didn't say with all your Oscars. girlfriends are Oscars, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, I've, that's come into sharp relief over I've never the years. About that before, but all your like, girlfriends are Oscars. A lot of them were, I think. And the Kevin um, Phillips story. And I, you know, the bigger questions there are for me to figure out. Um, but oh, man. Misato, man, Misato is the coolest character yes. in this show. I think, mm-hmm. like. I, I know that you agree with me, Luke. Um, I do. I, I, I can't wait to get to episode 23 because it's something that I want to talk about. And I can't talk about it till episode 23. But, yes. I think Masato, um, I, I kind of was always into Masato. I, was, I think when I was younger, I was into Masato because I'm like, oh, she's like a babe. And, like, look mm-hmm. how powerful <laughs> she is. And, like, also she's, like, flawed. And, like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, that's, like, a dimensional person that I can, like, you know, not necessarily relate to at that young age, but could, like, look up to in a way. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or maybe in a, in a way to think that, like, you know, all, all human beings like are dimensional and like all this. Anyway, yeah. all this is to say is like uh, to this day, I think Masato is the strongest character narratively. Um, I like Masato because I think I want to be kind of, uh, you know, taken care of a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely was. Yeah, we'd covered it before. But yeah, the 
the it sounds like the same progression of like when I was younger, probably definitely more in, like interested in Ray, and then as an adult, like obviously Masato, because you know. Well, Ray's. I mean, there's there's so many different factors at work, but Ray is the most striking design. Like Ray's yeah. the most interesting design, and that she had short hair, which was not the the norm for a lot of characters in popular culture in general and even in anime such so she had that like cool haircut and it was blue which in a show where the, you know anime has the different the rainbow colored hair mm-hmm. but in this show everyone else is pretty grounded in design mm-hmm. and that she was the one that really popped in the red eyes and then the attitude is so different so just if you're just looking at pictures the and Yoshiki Sadamoto's designs are just cool and he's like maybe one of my favorite character designers ever like like the the design of cuz you know like Akira is so amazing but Otomo's characters are so they're so rounded, yeah, and they're so different stylistically. I really always responded to that. So, so there's there's just raised just a striking image that as an adolescent boy is like oh, especially if you're you know a, a kind of an outsider, boy, yeah, to be like oh she looks cool. I think still to this day, I think we would all agree that like if you're if you're just buying Evangelion stuff you're more naturally gonna buy something with Ray on it just because she's the like you said it's, it's sort more of like specifically the Evangelion. most like Evangelion branded like that's thing, true I mean know, she's the, the most like transcendental character outside Shinji as well I think like in terms of being a like a, a, a evocative of like everything that Evangelion kind of mm-hmm. surmises or yeah you know like well she's yeah the the, the crux of all exactly. of the mythological stuff exactly. the yeah. uh psychological stuff the fan service stuff the you know design stuff she is kind of the, the center linchpin. of the yeah mm-hmm. uh, every element of evangelion is alive in ray yes exactly and i think that's kind of where it ended up for me as far as like a, a quick easy like follow through right to her when it, it also seems a little bit i mean and this is well i'll open it up and just ask for do you have a favorite character in general outside of those three but i'm just always interested then this is because of this episode where we get at the end the the three women the three actresses as Anna has called them before like the, do you want to become one with me it would be very very lovely and we get the three different ones and she, that sort of puts Shinji in that position of like okay you know choose and then they kind of all blur together at the end and it's it's just such a potent scene and that really just poses that question for the male viewer so i always want to start that but it did seem when you were describing it a little bit like you were drawn to ray almost as a as an avatar for yourself or that felt like that resonated with you as a character you could relate to that's that's really you know as opposed to a character that you were like attracted to or wanted to become one with. right so ray i don't think i can relate to ray as much because ray I, i think is is i don't maybe like too devoid of like a actual like a humanity even to like be able to quickly relate like okay. i don't think i i mean i do walk through my my like days in life like uh pondering existence often <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but i think uh, shinji does too i think shinji was like was yeah. a very relatable character for me as a kid um you know, uh, on one hand, like if I'm like immediately thinking like, well, who's just like, who do I like the most in this? It's like, um, it's like, oh, I wish it could be Kaji because like I like Kaji, but like Kaji, it's like, that's not me. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, so I think like, honestly, um, I see a lot in You're Masato, dressed like Kaji like, right now. Yeah, you you have like a blue shirt. <laughs> Kaji's got a great style. Um, but, um, this is interesting. You know, I think like it, at, at, as a youth, it would have been Shinji. I think to this to today, you know, Gendo's too 
hard lined. <laughs> it's too hard lined. I think when I did this quiz on um, on the internet, right? Oh, well, the gotta, personality quiz. You gotta send me the link to this quiz. Well, we should probably do it in between episodes. And, we sh- we should. Yeah. I think we can come back. We can <laughs> yeah. come back to this um, if that's fair. Okay. Yeah. We, yeah. Well, we should all take it in between the things. Yeah. And then we'll. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um. Yeah. I. I just the Masato thing. <laughs> it runs. It runs deep for me. It is interesting i was looking at, I, and it, it struck me again and everybody who's listened to this knows but yeah i was like looking through in, in, in the episode we're coming up on there's some flashbacky stuff I was looking through my evangelion chronicle and like say there's uh you know images of a young misato like college misato and it struck me like i had the reaction of like because this character's been with me for so long and and from adolescence you know or from you know super young adulthood to adulthood to approaching middle age and it like looking at this image like this design of young misato felt sort of like like looking at like young pictures of my wife or something like <laughs> like finding a box of like your girlfriend or someone in your life when they were younger like before you knew them uh-huh. and like being sort of like oh like getting this weird surge of affection like i had it's just a weird reaction of like it felt like such a complete person like she feels like such a complete person to me that seeing images of her younger right before oh before we met like it was strange and i guess that's i'm, I'm not embarrassed <laughs> to say <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. maybe my wife shouldn't listen to this episode well, no, but, i just it's i mean like um, you said it's just something that we've all like these characters in this world is something that we've all lived with for half of our lives at this point it's like yeah of course it's gonna like they take on i mean this is why as i talk about all the time this is what television does so well as a medium and it's what everyone likes about it is that you feel connections with the characters that sort of almost transcend the show and they become uh avatars for aspects of your life personalities the different people you compare things you you know like it's that's a context that just takes on its own life mm-hmm. when you watch something this for this much and for this long you know and this this deeply like that, mm-hmm. it, that it, it's such a tool for it's just a, a coping tool uh and and a map for understanding yourself and your place in the world like you know talking about ray and being able to relate to ray like i was always drawn to ray again for the design reasons and just you know that sort of thing but i can relate to ray i find myself relating to ray more now and more than i suspected and maybe and maybe that's in a depressing way but i do just trying to understand people and feelings and sometimes not feeling things when I feel like I should. And the whole, you know, I don't know what to do at times like this. Like, well, you could try smiling kind of, a, mm-hmm. I, I definitely, yeah, I, I feel, I feel a little bit of Ray sometimes. I'm still mostly a Shinji, but that's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, sure. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting, getting deep but let's get into this show because uh oh my god this episode yeah here and i'm gonna kevin i'm gonna i typically play back on silent uh so that we can reference things prompted as we walk through it but uh it's called shape of heart shape of human uh is the cool title that we've got Mm -hmm. uh aka weaving a story to oral stage this was first broadcast in uh, uh, oh Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety six, oh. February fourteenth. Script by who else yeah. for this one? But Hideaki Anno, of course. And then uh, the director. Well, the storyboards we got Kaz, uh, Kazuya Suramaki and Hideaki Anno, but the director Masahiko Otsuka, uh, who's directed stuff before. Um, 
And what I didn't even notice until I was looking at the the platinum booklet um, information about this was that this is predominantly repurposed footage. That's why it's called Weaving a Story Two because it's it's kind oh, yeah. of a similar to the recap episode with the the talk, Gendo talking to Sele from earlier. It is it is that, but I'd never noticed it before because it's being used to tell a new story. Sure. So it's predominantly repurposed footage. Probably because everything that's I the, never is, percentage wise, inside the thing yeah. is that yeah. percentage wise, it's probably close to being the same amount of reused footage as that episode but because it's not presented as just a straight recap it's it's covering new narrative ground yeah it is never yeah that's really clever that make yeah i mean it definitely makes you i mean it was we as you know kevin we we constantly talk about the relationship between production and creativity and stuff yeah i like that you guys do that like it's sometimes surprising, you know, when we're doing something like this deep of an analysis of this show that like, I find myself realizing more and more that things like that, it's like, Oh yeah, this probably saved them a lot of time. Like, totally. This probably in it's in it, but it is clever. I mean, the only thing that's, it's funny because right before we watched this, like uh, we watched the end of the previous episode to get you back up to speed. And then of course it was almost pointless because they literally replay it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Although the, the, uh, some of the lines are different. I the think the translation is the, different this, with, yeah. this, with these subtitles, some of what Ritzko saying about it. Um, describing that it's been awakened, it's been set free, the, the bindings, all that stuff. Like it's, it's slightly different, and it's probably in that sort of recappy way. And then, and then, very quickly, this is the first time we've seen Sele in fucking in forever. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. Can we talk about oral stage though? Yeah, please. Since that's the title, and um, that's a uh, another Freudian, a Freudian yeah. term. Yeah. Do you guys know about the oral stage? Should I? Yeah, um, yeah but you should. Uh, you should just. Do well, yeah, thing. it's it's the first stage of Freud's psychosexual development. So there's there's the five stages of psychosexual development that he defines. The oral stage is the first mm-hmm. and describes the phase where the mouth is the primary erogenous zone for an infant. So about the first 18 months of your life, mm-hmm. an infant experiences its first and most significant senses of pleasure through oral stimulation. And then the stages of psychosexual development uh, proceed to the anal stage, the phallic stage, the latent stage, and the genital stages. There are a lot of visual motifs of like mouths in this. I think actually, at least there's like now that I'm thinking about it, mm-hmm. even in that one situation where it's uh, Ray Masato and Oscar asking like, "Would you want to merge with me? Do you mm-hmm. want to like?" And it's like this like uh, repeating progression of that character uh, getting closer to the screen mm-hmm. and we get closer mm-hmm. to the mouth, even uh, like centering up in the screen. Mm-hmm. Well, it begins with the Ava ingesting the true. angel yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is true. Um, I think that the uh, as you were playing this, the I think it was form of mind, form of man was the other translation of the title. Oh, which is maybe a, a little less of a clumsy translation, but so yeah. yeah. So Sele, I mean, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna just if we're like like breaking down this? like sort of what exactly has happened here, we're dealing with the aftermath of the fact pronounced seal in the seal, Netflix true. dub. Ah, oh, interesting. It, well, so now now it's just who you knows anymore because yeah. it's Sele, it's Zela, it's Seal. Oh yeah, I forgot. So, we are okay, so Kaji straight up says like uh, Seal Sele won't stay quiet for this. No. This being the Eva Unit O One ingesting S Two engine into itself right yeah because that's what we're dealing with with the aftermath of that whole situation um and yeah the bindings they're they're we're discovering that there's more to the avas than we thought that they have this one now seems to have agency of some kind and sele being the ones who 
set this whole thing into motion and I guess like hired. I don't really know how to like describe the corporate. We're going to find like, more next episode about Gendo's sort of involvement, but Gendo's Sele, as we've said before, the implication seems to be that they've like the Freemasons or something that they, yeah. they've mm-hmm. been around like the Illuminati or whatever that they're, they're a secret society that's been around for an, an untold period of time. Mm-hmm. And Keel Cyclops visor guy. Uh-huh. Has, Kiel Lorenz. Is yes. Kiel, uh-huh. Yeah. Very good. Kiel Lorenz has long been, involved in that gendo has two we're gonna find out a little bit more about how he got involved in the next episode but can you correct me real quickly if i can go down this path i recall at least somebody told me as like an urban myth or some Mm -hmm. some information about keel lorenz maybe it's in the manga um, was one of the soldiers that stabbed Christ with That's, the lance. This is when you, I was going to even bring this up when you're talking about like looking at forums and I was like, and hey, there's tons of wrong information. <laughs> this is, this is a thing that I had heard at some point. I remember you telling me that. In that he was the, because I don't even think that this is a real thing. I think it's, it's a, just it's an, apocryphal. an I think anti-Semitic it... apocryphal story of yeah. the wandering Jew who spit on Christ on the cross and was cursed to walk the world forever as an immortal. That's this guy? Well, that's what people online said. Mm -hmm. It's not true. We're going to, again, in later episodes, there are pictures of a young Keel (gasps) that we will see. Are there? I don't know. Uh, I don't remember that. I don't recall that at all. It's in the next episode. (laughs) We'll get there. Um, So that is not true. It's not supported by anything. But it was sort of like, oh, the reason... Human instrumentality is like what you know. He's he's been around forever, and is he looking for, you know, I, we don't want to talk too much about instrumentality project yet and what it entails. But that his stake in that was personal, and because he was this immortal, because of his span on Christ, mm. not backed up Supported. by anything no. official. Um, so yeah, I, I that's not what I read bad, on G- Gendo Wakari's Ava uh, mm. fact page from Anime Turnpike, which we talked yeah, about. Yeah. So, but I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, so they moved. So here we go. So yeah, Ner- Nerve well, moved. I want to talk about Sele a little bit sure. more because they, yeah, it seems like they were using Gendo to accomplish a lot of these tasks, but now uh-huh. his scenario is going away and they're stressing out, like, what do we do with him? And there's the whole metaphor of the bell of like, we mm-hmm. should have put a bell on his neck. And then that becomes, oh, there was a bell, but the bell didn't ring. And that's Kaji. And, and then Kiel quickly makes it, oh, Kaji's the bell. Yeah, they cut to Kaji after that. Oh, that's Because Kaji sense. was the, he's the quadruple agent or whatever. Quadruple like, agent. He was right? the guy that, that they they were having he's him working for report to keep about what, him. yeah, but he was also secretly, where he was playing both sides. And it's mm-hmm. not even at this point clear. Because remember, in the early Kaji episodes, we see him like stepping away and like making some sort of call or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's reporting on what Gendo's doing. And he's always talking to that woman in Kyoto with the cats. Yeah. yeah About the Marduk Institute, yes. right? Yeah. Which Marduk is report. comprised of Futsuki and, and Kiel and Gendo. So Kaji's a quadruple agent? I mean, I'm, I just throw that. I, I use that <laughs> term. He's a triple agent. Is he's working triple. for the government. He's yes. working for Sele, and he's working for Yes, Nerf. exactly. And, but but I guess he's also working agency. with Misato. Yeah, he's, yeah. Also, he's, he's leaking information to everybody. Kaji, what are you doing, man? <laughs> In too deep. Um, so okay, but yeah, so, I, I just like that Keel quickly makes it really poetic with a, a bell that does not ring, serves no purpose. Are we to then assume then this is part of Gendo's plan, right? Not Sele's plan, obviously, as they're like, what is yeah. Gendo up to? Now, mm-hmm. did Gendo also, um, you know, um, is it was it part of his plan to have Unit One? Um, uh, ingest an S2 engine as as if it's part of This the... is I think the awakening of Ava Unit 1, the awakening, the awakening. of the Avas 
is a key component to what we're going to... And again, some of this we can talk about in the next episode, which gets a little bit more into it. But there are multiple projects that are all related. Project E, um, the Human Instrumentality Project, and there's one other one. But they're all sort of leading toward the same end. And I think in everybody's scenario, the Awakening of the Avas was supposed to happen. Now, is that I don't Project know. E then? The Awakening of the Ava? Is that, or what is Project E? Just the building of the Evangelion in general, I believe. Okay. So yeah, it does, it does seem to me that, because that, Gendo is the only one who doesn't seem uh, particularly distressed by these turn of events. And that makes, that implies to me that this is, if it wasn't exactly like a scripted plan, it at least fits in enough with what he wanted. And he, he can feels use it. comfortable yeah. in what, and they're all, you know, panicking because what, what we're going to sort of see and we're they're wasting time and money <laughs> on all of this yeah they you know say they it feels like they you know they're possibly you know losing control of this thing they're trying to figure out what how to handle it um and then and then we're seeing how the 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 aftermath of this whole thing uh affects everybody else um, i'm talking about from hell a lot because i just read it but it's very similar sort of scenario if you've yeah. read from hell there's a and I don't want to spoil from hell, but there's a conspiracy about, you know, Jack the Ripper and where he came from. And there, it, it posits that it was, you know, oh, we're going to hire this guy to clean up a mess. But this guy is out Has of his own ideas. Right. Yeah. And his own beliefs. And that's, that's sort of similar nice analog. to yeah. what's going on with I was thinking that I was thinking that I hadn't gotten there yet. But when we were talking about them as the Masons and stuff, I was like, yeah, that is kind of like from hell. Yeah. We got we, we got Gendo. Ooh. Yeah. He's the guy who can do it. But the guy who we hired to do the thing is now using our resources to do his own shit, <laughs> his own beliefs. Which is, which is, I think, I mean, that's also, um, you know, I don't know if Don DeLillo would describe it as a theory, but the the uh, scenario for the JFK assassination, as outlined by Don DeLillo in the book Libra, is almost identical in that. And I think mm. that that's the kind of thing that, like, when people, you know, not to get off on a whole big tangent, but like when people talk about the believability of conspiracy theories it's usually the idea that like, oh, all these people would have to agree and coordinate for this to work. And it's like, but when you look at these kind of narratives and it's like, yeah, it's like that can happen up to a certain point, but for a conspiracy to work, you have to have a limited number of people. And then if one person goes off script and does their thing, like that's how some of this, I mean, it's, it's, it becomes believable when you boil it down to a single person's will. And that's like the, the from hell thing totally. is, if you haven't read from hell, you should, it's one of the greatest works of literature. I think ever. It's really fantastic. Incredible. I'm a big Alan Moore fan and I had put it off and put it off. And I finally read it recently and was just in awe of his, that's uh, the one structural that, abilities. That's the one of his that kind of has stuck with me the longest. Oh, it's fantastic. But it, just to say that, like, I don't know what the competing theories are on the Jack the Ripper conspiracy or whatever. But like, if you can if you can finish that book and not just go like, well, this has to be what it is. It's very, <laughs> it's very convincing. Or it really stuff. fucked up. We want it to be what it is. Like, yeah, God, I hope yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same way with with uh, if you're into that shit, the uh, Dandelion novel Libra about JFK, because it's the same kind of thing. You walk away feeling satisfied in the sense that, like, no, you actually made this work. And so, well, it is the human you know, desire for things to make sense. Yes. And the great tragedy of humanity is that it does not. Is yeah. That and life, that's what it, life is not a narrative mm-hmm. and it is all random nonsense that we try to apply these meanings. But, but in Evangelion, it is narrative. It is, <laughs> yeah. it is part of a plan. And, and we're seeing here how, uh, in the aftermath of this thing, Sele's freaking out and uh, Kaji's now, you know, talking with. Kaji gives zero fucks. He just leans up on Gendo's desk like he's sitting on a friend's kitchen counter. Yeah, he's like, which is hilarious. Gendo <laughs> doesn't seem to notice. But they're talking about how, and this is where they first bring up the idea that you guys have already mentioned that uh, 
Shinji has been consumed or absorbed within Ava Unit. Yeah, one. this is this is this is, is the up. central conflict of this episode. Is that in the aftermath of of all the shit from episode nineteen, the they get the monitor going inside the um, entry plug at the cockpit, and there's no body there. Um, right. Well, at the end of the previous episode, the Ava was dead. There was no power. The, the timer ran out. It should not be able to run anymore. And Shinji's sort of begging it for something to happen. And we see the eyes light up, and it powers up, and it goes berserk. And we, But we never see Shinji again in that episode. And we, we hear that it's a 400% sync ratio happening. A uh, sync ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is because he's been completely absorbed into the LCL with inside the Ava unit. He's become one with it. And so... He's able to. There's there's no synchronization even necessary anymore because now he's he's become part of it and gone beyond his physical form. For, I mean, I'm <laughs> not gonna I'm not gonna make an actual metaphor here because it doesn't really hold up. But just the thing that did just flash in my mind is sort of like uh, like uh, uh, Christ's tomb being empty. <laughs> you know, oh, like sure, sure, yeah. You know, like there's like because the, like yeah, after all that stuff, they'd be like you know you wouldn't you'd be not surprised if like Shinji was dead in there or something. It's like oh, but no, there's no body, and then like mm. you know that's. I don't know, just in terms of imagery. But yeah, so the whole the conflict of this episode is everybody trying to figure out what the fuck to do about this. We see that uh, Asuka and Ray are obviously alive. Uh, Asuka doesn't give a shit that anybody else is alive. She's just pissed that she lost to Shinji, <laughs> effectively. Is like yeah, her. well, that's the thing. Is like, yeah, I pointed this out, but Misato calls to tell Asuka that Ray is still alive. And she's like, don't call me for every stupid little thing. <laughs> <laughs> and like hangs up the phone and angrily pouts that she failed again. That's taking us into some other things, though. I don't. I don't want to get too far ahead. I, I want to to stick on the Shinji thing. So I do want to point out what is probably a continuity error that I think they kind of try to, but uh, sort of retract. And Shinji was not in his plug suit when he got into. <gasps> That's fun. And so the fact that they look on the monitor and all yeah. they see is the plug Holy suit floating. Shit. That. He was in his oh, school uniform. Yeah, he was in his street clothes, yeah, because wow, he showed up and yes. just hopped in. So Ritsuko says a little something here, and the Ava Chronicle sort of tries to, uh, you know, ex- get a no prize by explaining it. That it's sort of like, oh, that's an indication that his soul is still in there because he sort of manifested the, the suit. What does it say? The entry plug was empty, save a plug suit, since Shinji hadn't been wearing his plug suit when he was when bo- he uh, boarded Ava Unit One to fight the Fourteenth Angel. This was taken as a manifestation of his soul. Sure, I and and I if you go back a little bit, we might be able to see the line. Ritsuko does say something here when she's talking about it, but I think it's probably just like, oh yeah, shit, we forgot because <laughs> oh. you see the suit come out uh, at the end exactly when the LCL dumps out. Is it in the scene? Uh, it was. Scene. It was way before, but it's fine. We'll we'll see if we get there. Yeah. But but yeah, she she kind of calls out the fact that the plug suit's in there. So That's anyway, I wanted to. Point I didn't that out. notice that. Yeah, and okay. I wanted to. They they really make it clear that it's a primordial soup. Yeah, the primordial I mean, soup. Of it's life. funny because like that image when I first saw it, it reminded me of this thing that I heard on a Radio Lab podcast where. Mm. When caterpillars form into a cocoon or like go into their cocoon right. uh, to become butterflies, I, I think what we've determined what actually happens scientifically is they dissolve into a like a soup of sorts. Really? Yes, and then reform. It's, really? Yes, exactly. They've like dissected. Um, they've dissected uh, cocoons before, and they all that it's gone. It's just like a viscous liquid. 
Whoa. And they dematerialize and then rematerialize, which is interesting, um, given the idea of Shinji and then into Eva's like true form and like incorporating this other component of this boy, uh, you know, Lilin or Lilith, yeah, so to speak. Anyway, I, I don't mean, know. I mean, that's it gets yeah, confusing. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, yes, and this is definitely introducing concepts that are going to be important later in the show. Well, I want to just call out in that in, 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 talking about this, this line that. Uh, tracking I, I, this line where where Masada and Ritsuko are talking and this uh, is a good Ritsuko and she and here. she says you know when she's saying he's been taken into unit one and, and Masada's like what does that mean what just what is an Ava and, and Ritsuko says it's something created by man in man's own image yes so as far as tracking like from what we saw in the last episode where the Ava has uh, uh you know more distinctly human uh features mm -hmm. than it ever has before and its behavior is clearly like you know that of like a mammal or whatever like it's it's behaving like an animal you know like a bite a quadrupedal <laughs> like right you know beast of some kind but yeah it is something created by man in man's own image which but of misato is... goes on to say that you copied what you found in antarctica which yeah, is a question more Adam. so but yeah yeah exactly right. something created by man didn't you just, didn't copy, you just what... copy what you found at the south pole aka adam yes yeah it's not just a copy because it is imbued with a human will Mm. Ritsuko fires back. And so Misada's saying, did somebody will this to happen? And Ritsuko says, maybe it's the Ava's will. So Ava's will, human will. There's a, we're, this is the problem is Evangelion just dances around these things and never really comes out and says them. But I want to call attention to them. I don't want to spoil anything. I almost feel like we need to do an episode after everything is said and done where we can just dig into a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah, we have to. Yeah, and just talk concretely about it. Um, because... Some of these things, these are like as close to answers as you're going to get, but I don't necessarily want to. It's really funny that Misato slaps Ritsuko, if only because <laughs> of that. It's just like, give me a fucking straight answer. Yeah. And she's like, it's as good as I can do it. And uh, it's Would the second can... time Misato slaps her. Yeah. Um, so we're so as we progress Asuka. through it, we're progressing through a series of days, jumping ahead all the while. Kind of tracking everybody in the fallout yeah. of what happened. Because Ava woke up. Yeah, and been, everything got wrecked. They're having to move their operations to the secondary control center. No one's really happy about that. They've and I got find it Ava telling one I think bound it's up. Everybody's reaction, what they're choosing to react to, is important because Misada's like, we got to get Shinji back. Where is Shinji? Pilot vanished. That's what we got to deal with. Ritsuko's like, okay, the priority is Unit One. I'm doing my job. Asuka's like, I fucking lost again. Don't tell me about it. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me Ray's still alive. I don't care. I lost to Shinji again. Maya's bummed Say about how hard the chairs are. And then you Maya, Maya's bummed <laughs> that they have to move to a new location. Sele's freaking out because he's like, wait, is Gendo in control now? So everybody is having a huge reaction to, as they should, the climax of the previous episode. Mm -hmm. Except Ray, who is like in a hospital ward. Like kind <laughs> he's of... like, I'm still alive? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Ray's like, what the fuck? I, I did that football thing with the mine. I don't, like... Well, she's in the Shinji position. Like, I think that's so interesting that we see her quite literally doing the Shinji scene exactly. of waking up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, and then it should be said, I think, if it's not clear that Unit 01 is now restrained... Yeah, um, they're keeping it because they they, they like they don't want it to do that shit again, and they're keeping it like bound up in this yeah these series of bandages. Not the you know, bandage babe. Yeah, the bandage babe of this episode is the terrifying unit one with its fucking green eye and teeth. You've, you've actually freeze framed it on this thing, and they're like Ritsuko and Maya are like having this casual conversation, and it's like with this ghastly giant bandage. I mean, everybody does it. This whole episode is like people just bandaged, hanging out with like with in blood. front of this thing. 
and this is yeah where they're explaining that you know his his like like his body is sort of dissolved into the LCL and it's into made the it the sort of, of soup of life. Uh, so his soul is still in there though. His his psyche is still in there. Everything that made up his body is still in there on a quantum level. Yeah. <laughs> So, so the idea is that he. Exists. Oh, in fact, his self—that was it. In fact, his self is like pseudo something is plug suit. And that, and and so the so the plan here that that Ritsuko posits is that they could reconstitute him, mm-hmm. and Maya is of course very impressed by this, and this becomes oh, the sort of goal for the rest of the episode um, is to figure Looks out how like to do the this. angel's face right there, doesn't it? It does. It's the interesting, cockpit. like the pod the that cockpit. within the co- yeah, exactly the seat that. Uh, the pilots sit in kind and of resemble before we get space. into this Shinji stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause the Shinji stuff I think is going to take up a lot of the episode. I want to talk about the Makoto stuff and I want to talk about a, a, a beat that struck me as really funny. <laughs> All that three of us laughed out loud. <laughs> I never really noticed it before. Never and I paid it. so much attention to that character because he's one of my favorite ancillary characters, but he and Misato are looking at the Evangelion and I'm trying to remember exactly what the line is, but she says something about like not wanting to prod it because it might do the unexpected. Yeah. So, something along those lines. Yeah. And he says, it's sort of like you, Captain Katsuragi. And she just gives him this look. And he just... It cuts a, to a wide shot. Yeah. And his his head and shoulders he, just drop. Like just he, the worst he just timing. His head. Yeah, yeah, it's like, dude, come on. Like, you're you're in front of that freakish fucking thing. And Shinji's, she's talking about... Shinji's gone. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Ooh, I shouldn't poke the bear. It's kind of like you, Miss Misato. And like, Buddy. Yeah. Swing and a read miss. The, read the room. <laughs> Man, like, not not the not the moment for God you. But that's him. but you know that's another thing. It's 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 amazing that they can find the beats for that type of shit within an Absolutely. episode that's so dense. I mean, this episode's so dense with the jargon and the discussion about you know like his existence and the thing, and then now we're going to get into yeah. what his perspective from the inside is. And this is this has been mirrored. We've seen uh, this stuff with Shinji inside Unit One before. This is the most extreme. Yeah, the I think it was the liner notes from the from the platinum releases that I was reading that talked about like from this point on this is the kind of the beginning of the show continually trying to um what did they say portray the human mind. Yeah. Like this is and we're using all this repurposed footage and stuff and it's all editing, and it's all music and it's all uh monologue, but it is this attempt to kind of I don't even want to say literalize, but just portray the human thought process because totally. this is Shinji without a physical form trying to make sense of what's happened to him. Which I want to, I do want to, I want to bring up because I always bring it up, but this, this, every time uh, it's more relevant to me, we talk about uh, sensory deprivation tanks and then in the notion of, of the, the cockpit feeling like a sensory deprivation tank, the way it sounds in there is kind of like that. And, uh, and that the, the purpose of the sensory deprivation tank uh, we should the, get a. We should get ads. We, we need to definitely enter in because the, uh, the, uh, as often as you talk about and sell sensory deprivation tanks, they need to be paying us. To, oh yeah, we could. I mean, I, yeah, I could get Just Float in Pasadena to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> um, I've been there many times. Great tanks. Um, but like, yeah. The, but the, the the notion of at least my experience with sensory deprivation tanks is that when you're inside one, because of the lack of light and sound and that the water temperature is the same as your body's temperature mm-hmm. it does feel as though if you don't if you're not touching it yourself and you're not touching yeah, the we've, sides we've talked yeah that it feels like you don't have a physical form and so it's interesting like that your consciousness is like a free-floating thing it's interesting to see that that's literally what's happening in this episode is that his consciousness has been set free from his body 
and he's just sort of floating around his thoughts. And, and you it's know, interesting that this? a lot of the predominant imagery uh, revolves around water or liquid of some yep. sort, mm-hmm. like this yep. uh, kind of ocean lapping on these psychedelic shores that are like kinetically cutting at like, a rapid <laughs> mm-hmm. pace. Um, very effective, uh, honestly. Yeah, the editing, I mean, that's the thing is like it's all repurposed, but but the editing takes such center stage here. Yeah. Like, it, it isn't just the recap episode. Like, again, that's why we never even realized that it was repurposed footage is because it's being turned into something completely new, uh, art form wise. Mm-hmm. Like the, the rapidity of the images. Um, it's so effective. Like just this, when he's sort of realizing he's floating in the soup. Mm-hmm. And then recognizing the existence of enemies, the yeah. existence of the other, mm-hmm. sort of the first realization is that, okay, there's you and then there's something else that's out to get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this is all the, the existentialism, you know, for beginners kind of stuff that, that you know, yourself and then the other and then, you know, then he's talking about, like, why does he do the things he does and, you know, yeah, all of this and of course, it's very telling that we're seeing all these images of the angels and all the enemy, enemy, enemy is flashing in text on the screen in a variety of ways, and he's saying it. And then at a certain point, it transitions into images of Gendo as the enemy, mm-hmm. um, sort of That's subtly true. at first, yeah. and then it ends with, yeah, father's the enemy. Yeah, in a very, um, you know, uh, Oedipal kind of looking like Stanley Kubrick as always. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, I assume was in some point the intention. Even I don't know if we've ever talked about whether or not Stanley Kubrick is meant to be any kind of an inspiration for the character design or not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Wouldn't um, surprise me. I do want to point out, you know, there's so much flashing text on the screen here, and my my Evangelion Chronicle very nicely lays out all the oh, things that it says. Mm. And uh, most of them are on a white background. This is Shinji's inner world, is what the book calls it. And I'll just sort of go through the things and I'll I'll tell you whether the, the card is white background with black text or black background with white text. So it starts with Rei Ayanami. Interestingly enough, that's white. Gendo Ikari, black. Yui Ikari, his mother, white. Yes. Father is black. Then mother, white. Child. Other people is black. Mm-hmm. Me, me, self hypocrisy hypocrisy desire all white repression is black then weakling identification ego interjection breast all white mm. inferiority complex is black mm. thoughts symbiosis those are white then solitude and solitude again black compensation reality ideal ideal those are all white internalization is black body and soul is white fear and uncertainty are black. Then value, dependency, escape, loss, oral stage, all white. Obsession is black. And then internalization is white. And those are just sort of interspersed throughout these shots? Is that? Yeah, when you see like these flashes mm-hmm. of... I mean, it says enemy at first. You're getting lots of flashes of just the word enemy. But there are later sequences once we sort of get beyond the enemy stuff. And it's flashing other Japanese characters. Um and that's what that stuff is. And a lot of these are also, you know, psychological terms like repression, obviously, is mm-hmm. a defense mechanism where the subject uh, perceives a threat in the form of memories or emotions or concepts. And they're so distressing that they force those threats uh, and impulses and emotions uh, into the unconscious as opposed to the conscious. So, you know, f- repressed mm-hmm. memories and mm-hmm. stuff like that. 
I do want to call out just as reference, um, and I have no idea if this has anything to do with it, but uh, the, the uh, Tony Conrad, the experimental uh, film musician and filmmaker, uh, did a film called Flicker. Uh, in somewhere in the 60s, I think, maybe the 70s. I should look this up and I'll have my reference on him. But it's just, it's, it's literally just um, flat alternating uh, frames of white and black uh, film leader that creates that strobing effect that, you know, <laughs> you see uh, uh, shapes and stuff in if you look at it just by itself. And it's interesting that some of the editing in this starts to kind of look like that. And it's the technique that you saw more in like um, Enter the Void or something later. You know, it's like people use that, but it's, it's cool to see. Uh, you know, an anime from the nineties doing, doing something that, yeah, like, you know, you think of that as being pretty, pretty experimental and pretty, I mean, you know, well, I don't uh, know if we talked about this either. This, it is kind of taking us into a different era. So I don't know if there's anything else we want to say about that before I bring up. Um, but apparently around episode 16, like, have we talked about this in the show that, that Ano somebody gave Ano a book on psychoanalysis and he read it sort of halfway through the show, so around episode 16. Well, this 16. answers this one of my questions from the very yes. beginning about like, do, how much of this did well, you know about this Well, he stuff? recognized that he was depressed after reading the book, so he kind of like was able to diagnose himself by reading this stuff. So it was when the series began, he was depressed but didn't know it, mm-hmm. and around the time when the episode titles start really referencing you know, psychology and uh, those kinds of things, it's because he had started to understand what was wrong with him and use this to deal with that. Which I would love to know who gave him that book. And I mean, presumably Good somebody question. who was aware of what he, he might was up be to. able to find out. Um, Cause that's, I mean, that's a huge impact. Cause we've, this is the, one of the questions that we've been asking the whole time because, because we've done our research to, you know, minimal researcher, you know, uh, just pop culture knowledge of the way that mental health stuff is viewed in Japan. It's not, uh, they, you know, therapy's not a big thing. Right. Antidepressants are only recently sort of been introduced into the culture. And like just the, the discussion of these kind of things, the idea you know, of the sort of it's a very far from like the kind of way that we talk about that stuff, uh, you know, in America and in other countries as well. And so the idea like from the very beginning being like how much like you, you would assume somebody anybody who if if you didn't know any better that like the person writing this show would have spent a lot of time in therapy. It feels like that. And yet it sounds like what you're saying is probably no, the show not. is his therapy. Yeah. yeah. This is, this <laughs> is what is so, it is, which, which is, is so why I find it so useful. And that he was groping towards things that, that, that he was instinctually understanding, or maybe he was, you know, uh, uh, gained by osmosis through other pop culture and stuff that he, you know, had read or watched or things like that. But they, they apparently not until midway through the show that when he actually got his hands on a text right. that directly you know, explained or referenced these things. It's because he was always kind of tinkering with it from the beginning, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like, which is really interesting because there's a lot of films and movies and uh, series and such that are more indicative of an artist's kind of mental state while they're making it. And you could say a lot about Lars von Trier and some mm-hmm. of his later works, particularly, and how you can draw a correlation with what is known about him and what he was going through at the time of making a certain film. And it's really amazing to see this as a representation of that, like this show that is so dense with its own structure and mythology and uh, concept and like universe um, still shows like this artist, Anno's and like everyone else's, but Anno's particularly uh, feelings like right up front and center, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's, right and that it's adjusting sleeve. itself as yeah. it goes. So they, like Luke exactly. Said, that he, that's he, the thing. He's course correcting or guiding it into a different direction that, as he's bringing. That's what I think makes it so much more interesting and valuable than a lot of these things where it's like, okay, I was depressed. 
I got through it, and this is a document of me remembering what that experience was like. We get this is sort of more document of the experience as it happened. Yes, exactly. Because, yeah, and that and that the art, the work itself is part of the source of his anxiety. So his feelings about the work itself, it's like his his stress, it's all exacerbated by what he's doing. So it's not even devoid of it. And eventually we start getting into more and more of this, why do you pilot Ava? Why do you pilot Ava? Exactly. Is Anno asking himself, why are you fucking making this show? Yeah, it's why are you doing uh -huh. anime? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it just you know becomes this crazy Ouroboros. Which is, yeah, which is where we're getting to with the Shinji stuff here when he's saying, oh, I do this because I get praised by people. This is how I... Well, you that know. that leads to a lot of like some of these things. I just want to call out these different phrases that are on here. Like internalization is another term, and that's the process where one takes an external factor, such as the opinions of others or societal standards, into oneself to the degree where it causes a transformation of one's own identity, like the way people are willing to accept and adapt societal values as their own. Mm. You know, that's you're you're internalizing something, or even what you're told about yourself. You know, oh, if sure. you're if you're told you're special, you believe you're special. If you're told you're funny, you believe you're funny. You know, whether or not that's true, and then sometimes that can become a self fulfilling prophecy. And then there's compensation, which is another one that shows up that felt really relevant to um, Asuka. In psychology, compensation is a strategy whereby one covers up consciously or unconsciously weaknesses, frustrations, desires, or feelings of inadequacy or incompetence in one life area through the gratification or drive towards excellence in another area. Compensation can cover up either real or imagined deficiencies and personal or physical inferiority. Positive comp compensations may help one to overcome one's difficulties. On the other hand, negative compensations do not, which results in a reinforced feeling of inferiority. Hmm. So overcompensation, I'm sure we've all very, heard of. Yeah, very relevant uh, uh, mechanism here in Los Angeles in the uh, entertainment <laughs> industry. <laughs> yes. I think, uh... Yeah, overcompensation, a, a superiority goal, striving for power, dominance, self-esteem, and self-devaluation. Yeah. And that's Asuka. Yeah, clearly. And then undercompensation includes a demand for help, leads to a lack of courage and a fear of life, which sounds like Shinji. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. No, no. It's it's great stuff. I mean, this is where, I mean, this is, this is the, the, this is the meat of it all. Yeah, this like, is the bread and butter of this episode because there's not, I mean, you guys watched it. Not much is happening in a literal physical sense. It's all happening inside Shinji's you know, detached consciousness of and, and reassessing everything that he's experienced up until this point. And, and like Luke said, like we're, we're seeing footage from those things. And in some cases, like, you know, the, the memories are slightly different in the way things happened. Um, right. This whole thing of, yeah, I called you because I had a need for you, you know, like, okay, well then my only value is my ability to do this thing mm -hmm. is to pilot the, it's why dad called me to pilot the Ava. So that must be the only value that I have is as an Ava pilot, which is and he's such a bad father. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Shinji says like, what is that even about yeah. when like, there's some like, you know, weird colloquial kind of, it seems like a modern. What's up like, with that? Yeah. What's up with that? I think that's yeah. what he says. Actually. What's up with that? What is up with <laughs> What is up with dads? Yeah. What's the deal with yeah. Gendo Akari? Um, there was a flash there of uh, child Shinji, mm -hmm. which, yes. okay, that's interesting. Is a repurposing animation that we have not seen yet. Um, oh, and then here's, a, here's this is a, a relevant thing. This is very important. Yeah, there's a scene where Ritsuko and Maya are talking about the reconstitution plan, and Maya in, you know, 
in her own sort of Makoto way. Uh, <laughs> you know, like... Ritsuko, you're so smart. Yeah, like, you, only you could have come up with this or something like that. It's, Maya loves Ritsuko, right? Yeah, she like, does. Um, I mean, it's unclear whether that's just a professional... A, it's, it's a really deep professional admiration, admiration or, yeah. if it, or if it transcends into some sort of a romantic thing. They don't, we don't know, but... Um, of course it does. Probably. Um, but she says, you know, oh, you know, you, it's amazing that you came up with this or whatever. And she says, oh, actually, this, is, this, this has been done before, previous to my involvement. Uh, I'm <gasps> using the data that my mother, you know, like... Because Ritsuko's mom was, like, part of the early stages of working with Gendo... Uh, so we are led to believe yeah. that somebody was a, a pilot or somebody vanished or was subsumed by yes. an Ava mm-hmm. and they tried previously. to do this and it didn't work. They tried to bring that person back and they failed. You can probably see where this is going, but we'll yeah, find it, out more soon. Yeah, I think next episode so we'll probably get more of it. But, but we've we've encountered the sort of decorporalization of, mm-hmm. a, of a person interfacing with an Ava in the past. And and yeah, and by the way, this this episode also covers like it just flashed thirty first today. So this is like, I mean, this is Shinji's going over a month without a physical no Shinji, body. Right. Yeah, and this is just we're just seeing flashes of what everybody's up to throughout this month long process of trying to figure out how to bring him back. And in the meantime, Shinji's just experiencing just a an ocean of his own consciousness just you know the perfect term because just to again to go back to the imagery of water like i've noticed like in this episode particularly the drop that macro drop of water hitting the surface happens like on three occasions Mm -hmm. i wasn't able to surmise if that is like uh, symbolic of anything particularly i was curious if ever you guys were able to draw like what that is because it's at the isn't it Am I wrong to believe it's at the beginning of the episode of each episode too, and as part of the title sequence? Yeah, that start. Sort of, you called it the Eternal Flame. Oh, there's the Eternal <laughs> Flame, and then that's right. There's the etern- blue Eternal Flame, and then there's the drop of water. Actually, but the, the Eternal Flame uh, always calls to mind water to me as well. Like sure. it feels like the sunlight playing on the surface of that's true. God moving over the surface of the waters, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. like the Moby Song. Like yeah, the Moby song. like the Moby Song, mm-hmm. or the you know, Book of Genesis. Um, I want to talk about this phone thing. And this is maybe weird that I should... There's this shot of the phone and you hear all the voices coming through. You know, good mm-hmm. good work, Shinji, and, you know, yo, Shinji, and all these different voices. There was this weird... Back when Will Melton, who, you know, a friend of the show who was constantly referenced because he was my, my co-conspirator in my early delvings into Evangelion. But we were looking up all the, you know, soundtrack stuff you know, compiling our own like mix cd of you know you could not buy the soundtracks obviously oh, in the united states so we yeah. sort of having to you know get on napster or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck at the time and and get all the soundtrack things and we found this thing called evangelion vox which was an album that was released that was evangelion songs with like lyrics on them, and there was like a gospel version of Come Suser Toad, which you'll hear in End of Evangelion, and like rap, like people rapping over things. <laughs> and there oh, was, <laughs> I, well, maybe we should like investigate this more, and I guess we can't play clips of it, but it was, I mean, it's fucking insane. Can. You'll probably find it's Evangelion Vox is the album. So it was like this pop, like hip hop album. Yes. There was one that was a rap over the Ray theme. And it was called Image of Me. Wow. And it was like a woman singing, you know, look at me, what do you see? Is it me or just an image of me? 
very crazy. I'm surprised I've never really talked to you about this before. No, I've this, never heard about it. It feels like, I know, now it feels like like I'm describing the Cats trailer or something. <laughs> I just thinking, like, is this real? Was this a collective dream? Like, no, this is, actually exists. But there was one track that had, uh, like, voices coming through the phone, and it was a bunch of different voices saying, do you love me, in different ways. Like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love It was like that Kate Bush song. Uh-huh. It was like, wake up. Yeah, and all these yeah, people saying, yeah. wake up. And it was like that, and it totally stuck with me in the same way I talk about some of the titles doing to where, you know, we talk about Kevin talking about influencing everything that he's, you know, done artistically. The do you love me question like haunted me. And it was in this, like just a stupid weird yeah. pop album, but that as part of it, and I don't know, I was, I always associated it with this image of the phone. And I was like, is this what the dub says? Is it just a bunch of people asking, do you love me? So I should maybe go back and listen to the dub and see hmm. if that is this. But just as a, I don't don't really have a point to the story, just as a personal anecdote of this weird Evangelion-related phrase that really has shaped so much of who I am and what I do to where I think just the flat-out line, do you love me, has probably appeared in multiple scripts that we've written. Yeah, probably. Um, Just someone boldly asking that. Oh, and then, of course, the end of the thing is like all these characters saying, like, do you love me? Do you love me? And then just a voice saying, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then the song starts. What's interesting Uh, that it's coming through a phone as if that's like an actual filter between like the the vulnerability of saying something like like that. Well, and then there's that. I mean, I think that's probably repurposed footage from when he's calling Gendo. Yeah, that's that's what it is. I was going to call it out. I left this stuff to that's Katsuragi. Right. Yeah, Don't that's exactly what it is. With your school meetings anymore. Totally. Um, sorry, I, I, I kind of distracted us. No, that, no. I mean, it's, it's... We were onto something. Yeah, well, no, this, well, this is... Water. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're the, the water. Because we're drops. in the, the imagery of all this. Yeah, whether or not the water drops typically are signifying or signaling some specific... An internal space for Shinji to kind of explore. Well, he liquid, or like, he's literally he liquid li- now. That's true. Things are flooding together. I, I just recall that being a motif that happened in earlier episodes, it does. too. Like, yeah. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what we called it out in the episode, because I was saying there was a bunch of water stuff, and mm-hmm. it opens, there's one that opens with the drop, uh, the yeah, water drop. exactly. Like, a few episodes past. Mm-hmm. Did it happen to be, was, was Shinji in, like, a debilitated state? Was he in, like, a hospital ward um, or something? Like, it may point? have been, in fact no i think it was the uh, the wedding one i think it was mm. lies in silence mm. which it was very funny i was watching this with my kids and um i have a six-year-old son and there's a point in one of the past episodes i think it's, it's earlier when she slaps ritsuko but there's a point when misato says to ritsuko liar <laughs> to hear my six-year-old next to me go lies in silence <laughs> incredible a, a six-year-old randomly quoting an episode title of Evangelion. oh amazing That's pretty good. Response to it. i mean yeah i mean the, the, we're gonna just sort of dance around all the stuff for the rest of this episode i mean so we're we're, we're just sort of talking about I mean, it's all of Shinji's internal thoughts about people being nice to him and people that, that, praising that's him. That's another one that that Shinji screaming on the train, the the train that is his, you know, his and occasionally Toji's. Apparently, um, <laughs> so strange. Mm-hmm. Toji's um, mental space and like you know this that eternal transition, eternal transience. Mm. But Shinji, just a fourteen-year-old boy screaming out loud, "Be nice to me," is. I know we talk about Ray being sort of like the heart of everything that's Evangelion, but that is a moment to me that kind of embodies the show of just being that's 14 fair. years old and screaming, 
somebody be nice to me. Mm-hmm. I think that's even in a different translation that that it is. It does say somebody be nice I think to so. me, and that God it hits me hard. I mean, so all of that. That's all anybody wants. That's all. That's all any of us want. As somebody to be nice to. Well, them. and that's and this is, but that that's it's that part that transitions into, and this is, I mean, this is goes back to the other episode, um, which which episode is it where he's having inside the Ava having the conversation with himself, yeah, the, uh, where yeah. in the question of like, is this the Lally basically old. the the Twelfth Ava angel. talking to him, mm-hmm. and this is where um, it, it, someone be nice to me, and it's like, well, I'm nice to you, and this transitions into the, do you want to? become one with me stuff yeah, one mind and body and this is where he's seeing as luke alluded to before he just mentioned before each of the three women that he has emotional <laughs> i love that even in this like sort of heavenly space of do you want to become one with me that asuka still very kindly in her tone of voice still calls him stupid shinji it's so good you don't hear me say this every day come over here already like it, it's Baka shinji. Yeah, they each have their personality still and again i don't i don't i don't want to speculate too much on things that are maybe maybe we'll know more of later but the idea that whatever this movement yeah is in end of evangelion yes yes yeah see true. there's like, i mean flag, this, flag exactly. this animation of a, a, a lot of this closer to the yes. to the frame this is all going to come yeah all this shit's going to come back but that he's seeing he's being presented is the way i'm going to put it uh these visions of the three different women asking him you know do you want to become one with me as though he needs to choose between them, and then we see all three of them overlaid, and they're all repeating and the same. You paused it on this screen, and I've never done that before. I've never paused it on that image, but it is very interesting to see all three faces overlaid into the uh, sort Shinji's, of ul- Shinji's ultimate woman. Yeah, come on, relax, release your soul. And so, I mean, it's like again, we're not going to spoil things, but like he's he, presumably he's communicating with. The consciousness that is inside on, the Ava. Relax, There's the drop of water. Come on, relax, release your soul, and then a drop of liquid. Yeah, is, is so sexual. <laughs> um, yeah, and it is, and it is being so presented as, as, well. as sexual, but also weirdly innocent in a way. I mean, they're they're nude, but they're nude forms. They don't they don't have like nipples. They're they're like yeah. they lack definition in a sort of real tactile human way it's more the yeah, idea I, I of I remember a, always being uncomfortable because we talked before how I show this you know to my she wasn't my wife at the time but you know the woman I was dating I was like showing her this and like I showed my parents this and I remember always being a little bit uncomfortable in that scene showing it to people because they you know it's like are they are they going to take this the wrong way you know I really I really like this part um, that we're watching right now, which is basically a quick montage of kanji characters <laughs> of all of the people in Shinji's life um, saying like, hey, Shinji, Shinji, stupid Shinji, yo, yo Shinji, Shinji. All, just basically acknowledging him. But it starts off with Ray and oh, wait, no, there it is. There, it sh- there she actually is. shows, shows Ray's yeah, face. it shows Ray's face. It's the only other face that we see amidst this montage outside Shinji's himself, like kind of waking up. Uh, which is really interesting, just bringing it back to this foundation of Ray. Uh, well, well, and and we know we already when I was listing off those, you know, okay, the flashes say different characters. It's mostly like psychological terms, but also his father's name, his mother's name, and Ray's name. Nobody else's. That's right. Like as if she's family. Well, and 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 I want to actually something I will, you know, sort of earmark here for everybody is that is that something we're doing right now in like that, that part that you just described with the, the two, those two things back to back, the, the images of the women um, 
offering him connection to them and then the the series of like people saying his name and the the floating kanji characters on the screen and then we're cutting out to where Ritsuko and Maya are uh, executing this plan and so we, where the signals are being trapped in Klein space. Yes, Klein yeah, all space, the, yeah, wonderful uh, <laughs> jargon here. But that that what what we're what we're getting is that Shinji's internal struggle of do I stay here, absorbed in this thing and fully give myself over, or is the real world, is my memory of the real world? Am I am, am, do I want to to exit this and go back to these people and stuff? And so we're seeing how this internal chaos of his indecision about this thing, and they are seeing that this is impacting their ability to to reconstitute him, that to some degree, and they, they finally say it, where they're like, oh, does Shinji not want to come back? Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And that, like, and yeah, that, what's the matter? Like, they're, they're, they're having all these problems. She's like, don't you want to come back? And that, yeah, so... so shout so out... I'm, go ahead. I was going to just say, shout out to Dash Shaw, friend of the podcast uh-huh. friend of ours uh sure if not for like kind of you know indirectly or directly being you know uh sniping this idea in oh, some of his oh works. yeah like yeah. is he um is he familiar with evangelion absolutely does he want to be on the show well we certainly can ask we'll reach <laughs> yeah, out to dash shaw him. absolutely he can talk yeah uh, he's a he's a artist and animator mm-hmm. uh comic book artist and um, what's his Netflix movie? I still uh, watch that. Uh, my entire high school is sinking Thank into you. the sea. Yeah. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. It's very, very good, very good movie. And he's making another movie uh, right now, which I forgot the name of. Cryptozo- cryptozoology or crypto something zoo? Crypt- yeah, crypto zoo, crypto zoo, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, Speaking yeah. of Klein space, which <laughs> refers to Klein geometry, which I, I I can't even make heads or tails of it. But but we were talking about all the different jargon in this episode, and because it's at the beginning of the episode, I think. Um, they talk about the hay flick limit, which mm-hmm. we clocked as just kind of laughed at, like, okay, there's another one. But I looked it up, and the hay flick limit is an actual thing. It's the number of times a normal human cell population will divide before cell division stops. Which is kind of accurately. What like, was the context utilized. of what were they using they were, it for here? They were talking about Shinji being LCL pretty much, and oh. like the idea of oh, okay. recouping him into physical form. So it's it's pretty. Oh apt. no, that is that is right. Okay, yeah. yeah. This gotcha. episode has some great techno babble. Um, whenever we're cutting back to Nerve, trying to kind of figure out how to rescue Shinji. But yeah, it's, it's great that it never is overwhelming. To like, wait, what are they trying to do? We know what they're trying to do, so it just makes it just adds an element of realism to it. Totally. It's not a distancing thing. It's just like okay, it feels very real. Yeah, because yeah. Masato is you know like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I I I. I it, it, I'm not trying to put a, too sharp of a note on this, but it, but the notion that we are cutting between very abstract, internalized you know, visualizations of Shinji's thoughts and emotions and memories, that that is incredibly abstract, but that when you cut out, that we see what is actually happening in the real world, that is in, how these two things are related. Right. I just want to flag that for later use because that's, uh, uh, oh. that's going to be a thing yeah. that... Um, is going to recur and has been for years and probably still to this day confusing to some people. But when we talk about that, I think um, uh-huh. we're seeing how the seeds for that notion exactly. were planted in this episode. Yes, the, the grammar for the rest yeah. of the show is being yes. established. Like this is the language that the show speaks, and exactly. these are words and uh, flourishes that they will use to 
convey the story. So on a particularly controversial uh, theoretical point that <laughs> comes up toward later, uh, this is evidence that that of what, uh, yeah. We have this I mean. ghostly Shinji in the field position in the red liquid. All these find people, interesting. Yeah. All the women ask, what do you wish? Yeah. The three women, right? Mm-hmm. So Ray, Misato, and Asuka, and Mom from... Yeah. The previous episode where he's trapped. Yeah, the sort of angel. vague, uh, all vague image of. of and mother. yes, the the voice of the mom is it's the same voice actress as Ray. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So okay, so oh, it climaxes God, in yes. you know in this whole thing, and they think it's not going to work. The plug suit comes out. They they dump out the the entry plug. The plug suit comes out. Yeah, because it's not supposed to happen. Like that's uh, his soul and all of his body is like. It's everything that just being need to make on the ground. Yeah. Like, so it, when it opens, it's like, oh, fuck. It's like you dumped out the, uh, you know, the puzzle pieces. into the cracks yeah. of, like, the floor yeah. of, like, uh, Nerve HQ. Oh, God. There's no way to recollect him. So, so I mean, so that's so what it looks up. like. We're seeing, yeah. you know, some of his internaliz- internalization stuff where, you know, he's talking with Masato about whether or not he's going to pilot the really, Ava. Really interesting stuff, though. Like, yeah. you... You can't deny that you have piloted it in the past. You can't deny the self that did those things. But as for what you do from now on, you have to decide for yourself. Yeah. So take like, some agency, kid. Which is just kind of important, and you know, it sometimes stresses me out of uh, the idea that you can't, you cannot undo what you've done. And the older you get, the more stuff you've done that you wish you could undo. Um, but that's impossible and you have to, you're constantly in this position. Okay. Well, from now on <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you, you have to own what you did, but you have to also choose what you're going to do next. Um, but let's talk about him coming back. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's still, we're like, even after the LCL stuff is poured out, we're still seeing from his consciousness where he's thinking about Masada. He's thinking about oh his mother. God, this this is, we see the, the oral stage very distinctly here where he's remembering <laughs> uh, breastfeeding and the smell of his mother and he has flashes of, of, of what almost certainly couldn't be memories, but of, of Gendo um, and Yui talking, you know, when he after he's born about how he's going to grow up in the world after. He's alive. This was huge for me at the time. Um, they're talking about how he's going to be born into a hell of a world. And can you go back? Because I want to mm-hmm. get the quote right. And, you know, that's probably a different translation on Netflix. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, I also just love the... This shot of Misato clutching the plug suit and just sobbing. It's one of the more iconic shots, yeah. I think. In front of the exposed ghastly core of the uh, Evangelion. Um, Shinji talking about a human smell. Smell of his mother. But Genda says he'll, he'll live in this world in the hell after the second impact. Um, but Yui, Yui says, says yeah, yeah, it's this one here. But if you have the will to live, anywhere can be heaven. Yeah. Pretty striking quote. And something I kind of needed to hear when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. And well, yeah, then it goes on because he's and because he's alive, he'll have plenty of chances to find happiness. Yes. Yeah. So as long as you're alive, and just the, you know, it's a very, it's kind of a trite idea, but -hmm. it's delivered in this way and from a thing that I respect so much. And sometimes you need to be told trite ideas and you know, yeah, things is. You know, uh, they exist because they are true. You know, just just because it's trite or just because it feels cliche doesn't mean that it's not true or valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and to be told in a specific way that yeah, because you're alive, you know, you can make it heaven. You don't have to wait to die or or be miserable and waiting for some heaven that might come. It is the idea of 
you know, creating your own heaven here. Well, it's also, I mean, this is also where this shit becomes super relevant, I think, to to the world right now. And have we talk about how, like, this show being from, you know, whatever, 20 years ago or whatever, like, that, that it's shocking how it seems very current in, in the, like, the sort of pre-post, like, sort of post-slash-pre-apocalyptic, like, you know, that, that, that this whole thing takes place after an apocalyptic event and couched in between that and the presumption of, an, of another. Right. And, and that it's all about, you know, well, how do you go on having hope? How do you go on, you know, and I think that a lot of people right now in the world that we're living in are, are asking themselves these questions with climate change and with the political stuff, the unrest that's, as it is. I mean, the discussion of whether or not having kids, you know, in, in the right. year 2019 is a real... Uh, a question a lot of people are asking themselves and I, I you know it's funny like I, I'm going to do a terrible job paraphrasing it and maybe I'll have to look it up again but there was uh, there was an article by um, this writer that I like uh, she's a journalist primarily named Elizabeth Brunig who uh, she's like maybe young, a little bit younger than us but like she has kids and she's a intelligent you know uh, progressive mm-hmm. uh, writer and she wrote a little editorial in the Washington Post about like the case for having kids in 2019 or maybe it was 2018 <laughs> and I remember being really excited because she's super intelligent and I really respect her opinions and I was like oh man she's really gonna like she's gonna really lay it out for me and like you know really like settle this thing once and for all and if I remember it actually it's actually quite a short article and she kind of lists all the reasons why people don't think that you should have kids and then kind of just says but you know, life is hope and new life is new hope. And, and that's really the only thing is like you, you know, having kids is what happens and we have to, we have to be hopeful. And that's, I mean, again, I think she probably had a little bit more to it than that, but it's kind of just the, 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 the Yui thing mm-hmm. is basically what it came down to. And that's like, yeah, I mean, these are the things that we have to grapple with. Like that sentiment Anywhere relevant to this show is still a relevant sentiment to the lives that people in all around the world, but that uh, we ourselves sitting here right now in 2019, Los Angeles, have to contend with those same things the other in film, our current context. The other film that I saw when I was a kid that posited the same kind of question was Seven. Uh, when Gwyneth <laughs> Paltrow wow. was sitting across from Morgan Freeman in the restaurant, and she's uh-huh. pregnant, and she's like, how can I raise a child in this world? And I think Morgan Freeman, unfortunately, was just like, uh... <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what his response was, actually, if it was nihilistic, cynical, or if there was some positivity to it. It was probably grandfatherly and, and warm, but without a lot of substance. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, yeah. But so that, that's, you know, that, yeah, this is that's where it gets yeah, heavy. And, well, and then you hear them wow. talking about what they're going to name the, the child. Surprise, if, surprise. If it's a boy, Shinji, and if it's a girl, Ray. Now, who's, who posits the names? Is it Gendo that says the names? Yeah, it's Gendo. Okay. And we see Shinji floating in the water, seeing the, the eternal flame, which see, see, see this like is like water like being, being birthed. Like, like yeah, that's, that's surfacing. Like, exactly. Yeah. They, when he's like, he's like, a, it's basically they show him as like, cause you see the drop of water, then you see this, this like sort of the water's like above. And then you see him, you see like, he's His like spirit. a little kid looking yeah. up yeah. at the surface. He's like, yeah. he's like going a, to underwater. Surface. Yeah. And he's going to surface and that being <gasps> sort of like, you know, I didn't, you know, all that, all that chamber of goth type shit or whatever, like the, like the, 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 the the idea that like the spirits of unborn babies exist in some Mm -hmm. place and that whenever they come into the world through this thing, I mean, I'm sure I don't know if that's what that, but like they get into that shit later. We'll talk about the chamber of goth But that's, but that is like, that is what that, that's the type of imagery that would be suggesting the idea that a soul is a pre-existing thing that enters a consciousness upon birth. Um, is, is, you know, one yeah. way that people sometimes look at the idea of 
you know. Yeah, he's being reborn because they failed. Ritsuka's plan failed. Mm-hmm. And Misato's here crying and clutching his plug suit. And, uh, you know, he's born. And it, the way the frame is set up, you just hear, you hear the flop. And then she turns and there's a naked Shinji lying there in front of the core. It almost feels like he came out of the core. He's, so he, like, he's resurrected like Christ yeah, after exactly. the tomb is empty. So did he essentially manifest himself? Uh, I mean, I don't think we're, I, we don't get answers about. We don't that get here. answers. I, I think you know. Again, that's what I'm sort of saying. It looks almost like he was birthed by the core, like him and the Ava together. That's it. Like sort of Cronenbergian, like like he came out of that thing. Sure. Like it, yeah, that he had the option. He had the option to become one and stay there. We or, have seen. Or, or, or Rizuko says. Rizuko says. You know, in this scene that where they're driving, uh, Misato sort of thanks her and she says i think that was you not yeah, me exactly. i think i think it was misato that brought you brought him back i didn't my plan yeah, failed because he started, but well, your he's, he's, tears and your yeah. you know longing for him your you know he heard your voice and came yeah because we see how the progression of his internal thoughts goes to his memories of misato and that goes to his memories of his mother and that goes to his mother's statement about hope and about, you know, being alive. And then we see him, you know. And I won't lie, guys. I got a little misty eye during all that stuff. Just moved by um, not exclusively the sentiment, but just the weight of this show for me personally. And seeing it all come together, it's like, oh, shit, I forgot how much some of this stuff is affected to me. <laughs> and also just uh, uh, in, case you, in case you needed the reinforcement, in the radio, mm-hmm. uh, in the car, there's a discussion of the oral stage, like mm-hmm. Freudian stuff, just to, just to put it all down, which I'm sure, again, this is like, um, you know, Bono being like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I should make sure everybody knows about this. Like, like how did I not know about this? Uh-huh. And this is them, and it's it's Ritsuko driving, or Masato driving Ritsuko home, and Ritsuko wants to hang out with her. She says, no, I've got somewhere to go today. Oh, and yes. Ritsuko knows exactly what the fuck that means. Um, and I think we all do, too. And as she watches uh, Masato's blue car uh, disappear into the horizon, going she says, on a yeah, going on with a trip. Man, yeah. The moment she knows Shinji's safe. I mean, yeah, also, fuck you, Ritsuko. That's a celebration. I and, guess you know, I'm in no position to talk. And this goes Who's into... Who's Ritsuko boning? That we yeah, Who, certainly don't know. What does yet. that mean? This, this, and so this is the last scene of the episode, and we've, we've definitely covered a lot of stuff at length, but I do want to talk about this scene because it's cinematically, it's just something that I think all three of us have referenced in discussions about stuff a lot. And this is, you know, again, it's one of these things that probably um, for cost-saving, you know, they, they're, they're showing... It's basically Misato and Kaji in a love hotel, um sort of post-coital and then kind of... Which a love hotel is a the thing in Japan where you... It's like a, they're hookup hotels, and they're yeah. not, but they're less seedy. Like they're sort of designed specifically for that purpose. Yeah. So it's not like you have to go to a dangerous or crappy place. It's yeah, you fun. go and you're buying an hour right. or whatever it is, and they're all like decorated in interesting ways, and they have, you know, mini bars and condoms and shit in them. And that's just what it's for, because everybody lives with their parents in and small apartments. And I will say and the, the yeah. liner notes pointed out that this scene, while it contains no explicit images, um, the love scene is depicted boldly, which caused quite a stir when it originally aired. Boldly, I, a, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very lyrical, and it's very detached, and like you guys were saying, efficient. Um, and, and, and as you have mentioned before, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, Godard uh, influence, it seems, and I'm, I'd be curious as to like how that actually played out with Anno and his team. But when I look at a show, when I look at a scene like this, uh, as we talked about Ben, uh, it is like the beginning of contempt. Um, yeah. And 
just in use of like the physical form, the, the, the human element, like just shapes of the body, shapes of the architecture and the interior space to kind of tell this narrative, um, which is really strong and striking and how they just hold on this shot of this cigarette and this ashtray. And is this the first time there's lipstick on the cigarettes? Are we, have we ever seen Masato smoke a cigarette before? Well, she says... He says, I don't, they didn't think you smoke. I actually wanted oh. to point this out. I didn't think you smoked anymore. She says, I only smoke after this sort of thing. There we go. And then exactly. she says, so nobody knows but you. Which. Because we haven't seen Masada with any other man. No. We've not. I, but this, there's something that's going to happen later. There's, and I don't want to see too much until we get there, but this kind of, that kind of contradicts something that they kind of suggest about Misato or, or what she feels about herself in a later episode that I, so I just want to flag this here and kind of bring that back up that it seems to me like she's saying like she doesn't really or hasn't in a while slept with anybody else but yeah. him. Like he's the only one that she's anyway, cause he says, Oh, well I'm honored. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then it goes into like a pretty lengthy in that same shot. And I think this is what the, the bold presentation that you're talking about is, is, we we there's no words and it's just the sound of her breathing and and you know sexual like you know they're getting back into doing something and she's experiencing pleasure and it's just hell well, on that for I for longer like than you would get. Even I never if you noticed before, that. but I, yeah, we we couldn't tell for sure if that. But it looks like there's a condom wrapper in the ultimate foreground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my assumption is that they've they've already uh, uh, had sex at least once and that they're talking in between and then they're starting to make out yes. again. And then so like, and then it's sort of interrupted by this funny bit of where she says, Oh, don't, what, don't, what is that? Or whatever. And then you don't know what's going don't on. Put, put strange there. things. In yeah. There. And it's in, he's got, and then he, dr- put strange he drops a little, a little, what looks like a pill or something on the, the nightstand and said, you know, like, and he says something about like, it's a present. It's a present for her. The first so my, in eight my years. I inferred that as a cyanide pill at first, and I don't know if I uh, think it this was is going to come it's into play yeah. later. First in eight years, and though it may be the last, so that's right. We're going to find out Christ. for sure. This is getting heavy. Yeah, um, but that's how it ends. It ends with with you know it cuts. You actually do see them finally, where she's like clearly like leaning over him and looking at whatever this thing is that he just put on the the nightstand or whatever, and mysteriously you know unnamed uh, pill sized object. But just two people living for the moment, rat <laughs> clinging desperately to each other, and is everything comes tumbling down. Yeah, because it's we're getting close, guys. This is episode twenty, and we got oh lord, you know, a few more, and the next one is a big one. The next one is uh, very mythologically dense, and it's going to be a real. I, I don't want to say a real chore, but it's it's going to be a real equation trying to sort of talk about it all well we should probably do it i mean we've we're i mean we're, we're i think let's we're gonna do another it. one so let's let's we'll, we'll call it call it the end unless of this anybody one. has any closing thoughts we should take the character quiz profile yeah and, but, and yeah we should do yeah. it and it, tune in next week to find the results of the <laughs> yeah, internet was, character quiz that we're all gonna take yeah so you know so we we thank uh our guest kevin phillips for having us in his home and thank for, you uh, being on this episode and the next one and more in the future. Um, but at the very least, these two right now. So uh, tune in you know, next week, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. See you soon.